We all need it. Only God can provide it. Have you ever played one of those party games where someone has to try and find something? Perhaps that game where you choose an object in the room and the person who's been sent outside comes back in as you all shout, cold, cold, colder, colder, or warm, warm, hot, as they try and discover the object that you've chosen. Or maybe you've chosen a character for them to be. Someone from history, someone from the world of sport or entertainment, or if you're very good, someone from the Bible. And they have 20 questions they can ask. They have to try and guess who they are. Well, whatever the circumstance or setting, have you known the frustration of not being able to find what you're looking for? Our wives make out that we men are much more familiar with that territory. Have you known the frustration of not being able to find what you're looking for? Have you known the frustration of not even knowing what it is you're looking for? And isn't that true of all people in their very lives, that all are seeking to find some kind of meaning or purpose or satisfaction in something? For some... Well, perhaps they become workaholics in the hope that achievement and success will do it. Maybe others turn to something like sport, but with exactly the same goals in mind. Uh, Some, of course, crave simply to be famous in the hope that the adulation and the hoped-for financial reward that comes with it will hit the spot somehow. Others just turn to crime to try and get those things by illicit means. Some just give in and they seek solace in anything that will numb the pain and help them forget so that they can cope. And some, tragically, reach such a level of despair that they decide that their only option is, well, just to bring it all to an end. Because whatever it is, I can't find it. Every man and woman and young person has this in common, you see. They seek something outside of themselves because they feel a lack of something within themselves. They all have that in common. Now, we all need things like companionship and interaction socially. But even that's not enough. We seek out something because there's something there that needs to be fulfilled. Many feel the frustration of not being able to find it. Of course, most haven't got a clue what it is they're actually looking for. I'll I'll tell you when I do find it, they might say. And many choose a route which only compounds their problems further down the road. It seems they're getting further away from finding it, whatever it is. In verse 2 of Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul puts his finger on what it is that we all are in need of. 
And he shows us that it can be found only in one place and in one place alone. What is it? What is that thing that all men and women and young people need? And where is it to be found? What they need is grace and peace. And it comes from God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why? What is it about this grace and peace that only God can give? Well, the Apostle Paul is convinced. We'll think about the answer to that in a moment. Some of you will be well aware that Paul has taken two common greetings from the Greek and Jewish world in which he lived. He, he mingled and moved between Greeks and Jews and Jews and Greeks. From the Greek culture, they greeted one another with the word grace. And as you know, probably in the Jewish culture, they treated themselves with this, greeted themselves with shalom, which at its very basic interpretation means, might you have peace? Now, says Paul, real grace, real peace, lasting grace, and lasting peace, meaningful grace and meaningful peace are found only in one place. And that is in God, who you may know as your father through the Lord Jesus Christ. There you may have this grace and this peace. And that's why so many of the letters that we have in the New Testament scriptures open in this way. So let's just think about this word grace to begin with. Of course, grace simply means undeserved favour and kindness. And grace is both an attitude of heart and mind. Grace is something which motivates you to do something which is of benefit to someone, even though they don't deserve it. Or actually, even more, they might actually deserve the opposite. But you've still shown them this grace. And the Bible tells us that grace is a key attribute in God's character and nature. Now, if I, if I was to ask you this question, I wonder what you'd think. At what point in the Bible do we learn of God's grace? Is it in the Old Testament or is it the New Testament? Well, some of you might initially think, well, Old Testament, that's all about law and commandments and judgment and all those kinds of things. And there's blood everywhere. Only in the New Testament do we discover God's grace. Well, let's ask another question. When in the Bible do we first come across God's grace. Now, when I ask that question, what I mean is this. When is God's grace mentioned explicitly? When does that word grace first appear on the printed page of Scripture? How soon in the Bible 
does God talk about his grace? Some of you might be surprised to know that it's Genesis chapter 6. Really? As early as that? Hmm. As early as that. Verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Even in Genesis chapter 6, God reveals himself to be a God of grace. Isn't that good news? Now Noah, of course, is described as a righteous man at the beginning of Genesis chapter 7. Now that, of course, does not mean that Noah was a sinless man. He stands out in the wicked generation in which he lived. A generation, of course, that's become so wicked that God has decided that he's going to destroy man and beast on the face of the earth. But, but even though uh, Noah is described as righteous in his generation, he still needs God's grace because he is not a sinless man. And the Bible says that God's act of choosing him was an act of grace. Isn't that wonderful? God chose him out of his grace. I'm going to show this kindness and favour to this man. Not because of Noah, but because of God. And the, the topic of grace continues. When God is speaking to and through Moses in the book of Exodus, we read in Exodus chapter 33, God speaking, I know you by name. And you have also found grace in my sight. God was moved by grace with his Old Testament people. And in Exodus 33 that I've just read from, four more times God's grace is mentioned. And in Esther. And in Ezra. And a further seven times in the Old Testament do we read of God's grace. And in addition to that... We read that God is gracious 26 times in the Old Testament. This God of grace, this God of undeserved favour that he pours out upon sinful men and women. And if you were to look into all of those references in the Old Testament, you'd discover a common thread. Which is that God is proving himself to be gracious in relation to the nation Israel Despite the fact that they've been sinful, they've been rebellious, they've been ungrateful, they deserve no good thing from him. And yet he's moved with grace and treats them with favour. But what does that have to do with you and me two and a half thousand years later or more, depending on which part of the Old Testament you're reading? Well, this grace, this undeserved favour and kindness and goodness that God shows... It's closely linked in the Hebrew language to a word which in our English Bibles is translated as loving kindness. You see, God is a God of loving kindness. I need that. So do you. God is a God of loving kindness. 
here I am in all of my sin. And that's just what I need to hear. It's on account of God's loving kindness that he acts graciously towards sinful men and women. We can know in a real way. Do you know in a real way? Not just that God is loving and kind in some abstract sense. But that you can know the outworking of his loving kindness. As he meets you personally and touches you personally with his grace. Have you been there? Do you know that? Is that your testimony? God has met me and touched me with his grace. And that's so important, isn't it? Because through God's grace and only by God's grace can we be restored. Can we be put back in that rightful place that we're supposed to be in. That we can be re-established And why is that important? Because it's in that being reconciled with God. It's in that being reunited with our God and creator that we find that thing that our souls have been yearning for. We find that which is the great void in our lives. That now we're back in fellowship with the God who made us. Our relationship with our creator God can be restored because of his grace and only because of his grace. And our true humanity can be restored once again. Because you see, to really be a human being in this world of beings that God has made, what is it that's so significant about that? It's that we were made in God's image to know him and love him and to be in fellowship with him. And that's what's missing But that's what God's grace has restored. We read that it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. There was nothing at all to recommend us to God. Nothing at all to commend us to God. Indeed, the Bible tells us very plainly that even the best of us were rebellious and spiteful and shameful. Guilty breakers of his law blasphemers of his name and indeed deserving nothing but his righteous judgment and anger and punishment and experiencing all the sorrows and griefs of the fallen world in which we live. And it's in that sinful state as the Bible reveals it to us that we discover the root and cause of all of our problems. We were created by God to live in fellowship with him but we turned our backs on him and rejected him we were created by God to love and worship him but we love and worship anything and everything but God and supremely ourselves we love and worship that which we have made rather than the one who made us We were created by God to live in obedience to the ways that he had established for us. He made us in his own likeness that we might live after his ways. But we've gone our own way. We do that which is right in our own eyes. We were created by God in such a way that we would find all of our fulfillment and all of our meaning in him. 
But in turning away from him, we've lost all hope of ever being satisfied, no matter where we look for it. We can find temporary highs. We can find temporary fixes. But the highs are soon followed by lows. And the fixes soon give way to reveal that all the brokenness is still there. And for many, the lows only get lower. And the brokenness only gets more broken. And God will be perfectly justified in his sovereign righteousness and justice to simply wipe us all away in a moment. But instead, because he is a God of loving kindness, he's chosen to move in sovereign grace. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that his grace might be revealed to us and made known. And in the person of Jesus, God would act in grace for our benefit and for our good. It's in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the saving work of redemption in the life of sinners that grace really comes into its own. There is no greater example of grace. We read in John The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. Now, in our remaining time, what I want to do is three things. I want to examine grace from three viewpoints. Now, there are many, many other things you could say about grace. And I'm going to just say a few things in about 10 minutes. And it's going to be a little bit unusual in that, for the most part, I'm just going to read the scriptures to you. Now, that's normally what sermons are not about. Normally, we read the scriptures at the beginning and then you get a big, long explanation. But I just want you to listen to what the Bible says about God's grace. I want to let God's word speak for himself. And listen to what God has made known to us about his grace. For those of you who are Christians... I trust it just warms your heart and causes you to be ever more thankful for the Saviour. And for those of you who are outside the household of faith, that you might just be confronted and see, this is the thing I've been looking for. This is the thing I need. Firstly, and supremely, We have God's demonstration of grace in the saving work of Christ. God's grace is not something abstract that we can't touch and we can't see and we can't quite define. He's actually done something because of his grace. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich because of his grace this infinite God of all eternity was prepared to come and make himself nothing more but flesh and bone in this sinful world that you might become rich through his poverty why did he do that grace there's no other explanation but what an explanation grace and our testimony as Christians 
Romans 3.24 is that we have been justified. That is, we have been put in right standing with the God of heaven freely. How? Why? By his grace. Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. He did it. He moved by grace. When Paul writes to the Ephesian church, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And in those ages to come, which is in this present world, and then on into eternity, more and more people are having revealed to them the riches in Christ, the riches of his grace, the kindness that God has shown us through his Son, his Saviour. Paul's letter to Titus, Paul says this, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What a wonderful message that is. The grace of God, the thing that you never ever deserved, salvation, it's come in Christ. The writer to the Hebrews, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, but now crowned with glory and honour, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for every man. We have a demonstration of God's grace in the saving work of Jesus Christ. You never deserved it. You could never earn it. Such is the loving kindness of God that Jesus came and died for you as a sinful man or woman. That is grace. But God's grace is such a wonderful thing. It's so much bigger than even that. Now, if that's all grace was, what a thing grace would be. But it gets even better. The grace of God, secondly, is then seen in bringing lost sinners into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, God's grace didn't stop at just sending Jesus to die and rise again. More was required. Because in my sinful state and in your sinful state, even though Jesus did that, I still can't get saved. Because I have no way of taking what Christ did for me and making it mine. So guess what God did? Having moved in grace through Christ, he now moves in grace in me and in you if you're a Christian. For us to be done any good by Christ's death and resurrection, we need God's grace for that too. And he gives. What favour we found. Listen to, listen to these scriptures. Acts chapter 18. When he desired, desired to cross to Achaia, 
the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. God has moved in them by his grace to bring them to belief in Christ. And if God had not done that, they never would have believed. But God has worked directly in them by and through his grace. Paul, at the beginning of his letters to the Romans, this is his personal testimony. Through him, that is Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. We've received grace. Galatians, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. This is such a huge word because it encompasses so much of what God has done in the lives of Christian men and women. Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. God's grace is so mighty and pure and infinite that it reaches down even to the likes of you and me to bring redemption from our sins through Christ. Well-known verses in Ephesians, even when we were dead in trespasses, we could do nothing, we were dead. We were made alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. A few verses later, by grace, you've been saved, just in case you didn't get it the first time. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. What a gift. What favour and love God has shown to us. The penalty for your sins paid through Christ's blood. And this becomes the reality for you. The forgiveness of your sins, all the guilt and shame wiped away, blotted out. And we're reconciled to God and that life and fellowship with God that we had lost is restored to us. And it's all by God's grace. But there's more. God's grace goes even further than that. It goes even deeper than that. God, by his grace, keeps and sustains us. We need him. We need him every single day. We can do nothing without him. And it's a mark of his grace that he continues with us. And we stumble and we falter and we fail and we let him down. But such is his loving kindness. His grace just keeps on coming. We become recipients of his grace ourselves. His grace actually starts to work in us and change us. It transforms us. So that actually we ourselves become channels of grace and instruments of grace as God is working through us. 
Paul says of the Corinthian believers, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. You've received God's grace within you. Paul says, according to the grace of God which was given to me. God has given me this favour and this grace which is part of his great eternal and perfect attribute. He's actually started to plant that within me as a Christian. And he's actually started to implant that within you as a Christian. His grace that has done all this through Christ actually now at work in you and through you. Such is the depth of his grace. Paul's testimony, by the grace of God, I am now what I am. And Paul remembered what he once was. But look at him now as a servant of Christ. It's all of grace. And he continues, his grace towards me wasn't in vain. I laboured more abundantly, but not I, but the grace of God which was with me. We can't, we can't live the Christian life on our own. But God implants his grace within us. Paul said this, for Christians, God is able to make all grace abound to you, abound to you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, that's a lot of superlatives in a single sentence. He's really wanting to pile it on. Listen to it again. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. How does he do that? By his grace which abounds towards you. This loving kindness which just keeps coming and coming and coming and he gives and he gives and he gives. And to show you to what extent we ourselves actually become channels and instruments for God's grace. Listen to this from Ephesians 4. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. It's not a wonderful thing. What a privileged position we are now in, that we can be part and parcel of giving out God's grace to others and imparting God's grace to others. As Christian people, you can be a channel of that same grace that you have received and known through Christ. God can use you to impart his grace to others. What a privilege that is for the Christian. What a joy that is for the Christian. In Colossians 3, he talks about singing with grace in your hearts. Grace. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. That which is God actually beginning to work itself out in me and in you. That is an astounding truth. And it's not easy to be a Christian sometimes, is it? 
Paul knew that when he was writing to young Timothy. He was only a young man. He was a pastor and an elder and a a missionary. You therefore, my son, he says, be strong. How, Paul? In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Just come before the Lord and just remember that grace that he's shown to you, Timothy. And just remember that he's imparted that grace to you, Timothy. And just remember that you now, Timothy, can be a channel through whom God will bring his grace to others. God will do it in you. And in that you will be strong. One final verse from the scriptures, Hebrews 13. Don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace. Even having your heart established in Christian doctrine is part of God's grace. We tend to think of doctrine, that's all to do with law and commands and cold stuff like that. Not at all. Don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines. It's good that the heart be established by grace. A heart that's been touched with God's grace will love the doctrines of the word. And because of God's transforming grace in our lives and because we now have a proper relationship with God that's been restored, we find that we're at peace. I don't really need to say much more about peace. I don't intend to. Because if you've known truly the grace of God, then the peace will follow because that peace is found in Christ. We live in a world where peace is a fairly rare commodity, but the Christian has peace and the Christian is at peace. Because you've seen in those verses how grace and Christ go hand in glove. Christ came full of grace. And he's the instrument by which God has brought his grace into this world. And because of grace, we have Christ, and through Christ, we receive grace. And this is the place where the soul finds its peace. Because, you see, very simply, Jesus, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is described as being the Prince of Peace. The place where Christ reigns and dwells is a place of peace. And if this grace of God has brought Christ,